Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Classic City Crime. I'm Cameron J. It's once again good to be back with all of you. I looked back as I started to record this episode, and it was around March of the hell of a year that was 2020 when I looked at Kyle one day and said, let's start a podcast to help people. We started immediately on what is now known as Classic City Crime neither of us knowing what in the world we were doing nor where things would end up going. We didn't start releasing episodes until June, never imagining the first episodes of the Tara Louise Baker story would turn into a truth-seeking, community-led effort. And not because of anything we did, but simply because of who Tara Baker was. I could have never come this far without Kyle's help, and we couldn't have accomplished all that we've done without all of you. We've traveled many miles, I've asked some tough questions, yes, and there have been many sleepless, tear-filled conversations and some downright uncomfortable moments, too. What I'm most grateful for is that I've gotten to know some of the most incredible, amazing people who are full of bravery, grace, and who share with me a similar belief in fighting for answers and demanding action. You've accepted the Baker family and their daughter Tara's story into your homes, into your cars as you've driven to and from work, but more importantly, you've accepted Tara and her family into your hearts. And it's no understatement when I say, so have I. Miss Virginia and I, as you know, and as you'll hear in some new unheard audio, instantly connected. Her calm demeanor, emotional honesty, and yes, her ability to be frank and real with me, and to require the same of me, by the way, reminded me of the strong women in my life who have made me who I am today. And I think that's why we've become such good friends. You've heard her strength over the last eight or so months as she opened the deepest pains of her heart her worst nightmares, and shared them with not only the hopes that things might become clearer as to what happened to Tara, but with the firm belief and conviction that she wanted to make sure Tara was never forgotten. And I can honestly say that thousands of you have helped me to show this mother's heart just how much her daughter is loved, remembered, and yes, just how much you care. Meredith, though, was the first interview I ever conducted, and we talked for nearly an hour and a half about a lot of things. Tara's life, her death, the police interactions with the families throughout the years that followed, and the speculation that has surrounded her sister's death for the last 20 years. Two decades, and you all know that that anniversary is approaching just next week. Virginia once told me that her brothers say Meredith is meaner than a two-headed snake, and... (laughs) I would agree, but Meredith, hold on, let me explain. What I mean by that is Meredith is perhaps the most determined and blunt person I've ever met, which is probably why we work so well together. Often spending late nights over a glass of wine, tossing theories back and forth now based on loads of information coming in. Conversations where her husband could often be heard in the background yelling at us saying, you're doing it again, another rabbit hole. And we needed that. So, Adam, if you're listening, thank you for those moments of recentering. We always need that. Tara's oldest brother, also named Adam, and I got off to a little bit of a skeptical start, as you can imagine, and rightfully so. He knew this was going to be a painful time. He wondered why I was starting a podcast, and that was something I was also asking myself in those early days. And he wanted to make sure that his mother and his family were protected. 
and I promised him then to run everything by them before episodes ever released, to keep them in the loop on all incoming interviews, and to never keep anything I felt or found from them. I feel like I've stayed true to my word, and Adam and I too have become friends throughout this process. I'm grateful for him. He is currently serving our country in the military. And then you all know and love him, the baby of the family, but the guy who's older than me and who outdresses me every single time we get together, Kevin. Kevin and I are probably, as I've said before, the only two people who grew up wanting to be both President of the United States and a funeral director. I think Kevin and I are a lot alike, big dreamers, and Kevin has always been one of the biggest supporters of the podcast. He's always answering my calls, my midnight texts, and being patient when I'm usually sleeping off a night's work during the day. <laughs> I wanted to say all of this to let you know, Tara's family is so important to me and will forever be a part of why I believe good can come from community-based efforts to help out those who are tasked with solving our community's most heinous crimes. But the Baker family is not the only group of people who have spoken out. You know this all too well if you've been following along from the beginning. People were waiting for a place to be heard. Who knew? A person to listen and a family to at least have the chance to hear their stories. We're going to take this time to take a look back at just how far we've come, some of the biggest moments of the last eight or nine months, and then we'll be catching up with the Bakers on a conference call at the end of this episode as we approach the 20th anniversary of Tara's murder as we approach her birthday the following day next week. I believe it's important that we remember why all of us came together eight months ago to review the story, to then chat with the Bakers about where we are now. Some of this audio you might have heard long ago or at some point along the way, but others I'm putting in for the very first time. As you can imagine, a lot of things recorded don't make it into the podcast, so I've tried to throw in a few new blurbs for you here. And I want you to listen very closely because there is one new account emerging about one person we haven't talked about in a while that we can't possibly leave out. But for now, let's go back to the beginning where it all started. A phone call to the younger sister of Tara Louise Baker, Meredith, and conversations that followed with a family each of who loved their daughter and sister with a love that cannot even be thwarted or diminished by death. Hello? Hey, Meredith. Hey, how, how are, you? are you? I'm good. I'm so glad to finally talk to you. Oh, it's been crazy. <laughs> I know. What a time we're in right now, right? <laughs> I know it. It's difficult to talk about her, but I want to talk about her. I want people to know who Tara was, that there's still no resolution, and I don't want people to ever be afraid to, to ask me questions. Well, that's... I feel like that's the only way that we can keep her alive is to talk about her, to tell her story. It's been it's been said so often that it's almost like being a dead horse, but it's it's never going to stop being true. She was such an old soul. I mean, she she was 23 when she died, but she already took on so much responsibility and already had accomplished so much in her life. Um, she was loving. She was meticulous. She was a fighter. 
she was not the most graceful. She was not the most athletic. And she is probably the worst driver I've ever met in my entire life. <laughs> you, you could always tell that you got her because she would, um, there was this little wrinkle that would come at the top of her nose when she smiled and you knew that that was it. You know, she was about to roll on the floor laughing. And I think that the biggest testament to how caring and loving she is, is that it has been 19 years since she's died. And there are people that she went to law school with that are still fighting for her, that are still telling her story. And these are people who knew her for six months or less. She, she died one month into her second semester at law school. Mm. And these people are still standing on rooftops shouting, I need to tell you about my friend. I need to tell you what happened. Tara was born on January 20th, 1977 to a loving mother and family and would grow as her mother, Miss Virginia, always put it, from the time she was born until the time she died to serve as the light of the Baker family to her parents, Virginia and Lindsay, to her uncles, to her grandparents, and yes, to her younger siblings. But before we got started, I knew right away, Mama had some questions, and we talked about them right up front. Hey, let me ask you, who are you with? Are you an independent? Good question. Um, so first of all, my name's Cameron, and so I am not with a newspaper, I'm not with a news agency. I am Cameron who wants to help others. You know, talking to Meredith the other night was so eye-opening for me and I told her how much I wanted to talk to you. Um, and I'm so grateful that you, that you're here to talk. Yeah. Well, I, it's hard for me, but I'm probably the best source. And one thing that I want you to know, Miss Virginia, as we go through this, um, I told Meredith the same thing that, you know, We've seen the shows, and so often in those, they talk so much about the crime that they they don't talk enough about the person and the people who it affected. And that's one thing that I really want to make sure that I do justice for Tara in this, in making sure that we tell who she was and tell who... That's a wonderful thing. So I don't know where it'll go, but I want you to have two things from me before we go any further. Number one... I told and promised Meredith that anything that I did, I would run by all of you first. That I would not... She told me that, and I appreciate that so much. I will not run anything that you don't hear first, um, and I don't want anything that I find out to be news to you. So our job is to work together um, on getting this story out there, and like I said, nothing that I do will not be run by you first. I think that's the mistake so many people make when they're trying to do these types of things is... They make their own judgments and then go about their own tangents, and that's just not what I believe in. Well, you are a very wise person, and may I ask how old you are? I am 25 going on 65. Really? (laughs) You are so much, you sound so wise for your age. I've heard so many in my family say she was the light of our family, absolutely. And my children... thought of her as you know the northern star she was their guiding light she just seemed to be born that way and she always got along better with older people than with children her own age she was an extremely bright child i mean she could read when she was three years old that's unbelievable i know but it's very true if i'd had a bad day at work you know little tara was right there you know to see what she could do for you 
everybody would tell you that Tara adored her family. That's all she talked about was her family. And when she had so many pictures in her room of all of her family members, I cannot believe that someone was in that room and hurt her like they did with all those faces staring at them. Mm -hmm. They had to have known how many people would be affected. Now Tara was the oldest, followed by Adam, then Meredith, then younger brother Kevin. Now Adam and Kevin were always quick to let me know of their admiration and respect for their sister who exuded excellence in all things and gave love to all she encountered. And I would be so excited every time she'd come home from school, I would be the first one running out the door. When I met Tara, she was almost a teenager. Now I was born in November and you know, my earliest memories, you know, even if my earliest memories were two or three, she was already 15. She always made sure that she had a voice in the the conversation, a gentle voice. She would never get uh, malicious with anything, but she would always want to listen to every side of the story before she would make a conclusion. You know, if I got in a fight with uh, Meredith upstairs and it turned into some big commotion, she'd come up and break it up, you know, um, she would listen to both sides. You know, growing up, she was always uh, very smart, very uh, nurturing. Uh, she always did everything she could to take care of me as uh, as my big sister. She had an extreme passion for justice and injustice, which, uh, you know, the, the irony is not lost on us on that. She just had a way of, of loving people, and uh, she, she tended to take in people that, that needed a friend that, you know, maybe people didn't didn't see much in that person and she would take that person in as a friend and you know try and just be that friend that the person always needed and when you became Tara's friend you were her friend for life she was uh, fiercely loyal. We all know Tara was bold and bright. She moved from home to attend Georgia College in Milledgeville where she met fellow 80 Pi sister Ashley yet another person who gave us just a little glimpse into Tara's devotion to her friends and her family. Once you're an officer, you live in the house, and we end up being roommates just by chance. And it's probably the best thing to ever happen to me. You know, you found you sometimes find that one person that you are like, you know, that's your your person, and that right. she was definitely my person. And when you meet someone, and I mean, we just clicked, and pretty much we're best friends from the get go. Once you were her friend, that was it. I mean, she was your best confidant. She was going to stand by your side. I mean, it was, she was just that person. And, you know, it, she didn't take friends lightly. I mean, she didn't go out trying to make 100 friends. She wanted those special friends. She wanted certain people to be her special friends. So, you know, when you got to be that person, you felt, you knew you were that special friend with her. You know, if anyone was in need or anyone needed something, she was the first one to jump in. Strong connection with her family, her mom and her stepfather, her siblings, that I think she brought that with her and she, you know, she put that in all of her relationships and she was a big sister, you know, so she wanted to look out for everybody. We had almost more fun sitting back watching, we'd watch old school movies, you know, The Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles and, you know, just fun movies, popcorn, staying in, having girl time. It was there in Milledgeville that Tara also met a boy. Chris, who by all accounts we've heard loved Tara deeply, and she loved him. They met at college, he a cheerleader, she working on not one, but two undergraduate degrees, and in a sorority. 
What started out as a friendship, though, grew after graduation, as Chris says he held on to a piece of paper Tara had given him containing some important information. She had given me, I had a cell phone number for her on a piece of paper, and I always, whatever, wherever I was going to or doing, I, I made sure I held on for some reason, I held on to that, I held on to that paper. And so I had called her from my parents' house, and and she loved Joy. She was out with mm-hmm. Joy at the time. And uh, we just started hitting it off. It was immediate. After that, it was immediate. Like, we talked, and just, it just rekindled. And we started talking, and we had a date. And we went on another date, and then another date. And... So they fell in love. Ashley and Tara graduated, and Ashley moved on right here to the classic city. But Tara, in true Tara fashion, I will say, returned home to be with her family for a time where she lived in her family's pool house and worked for a local law firm. When it came time to decide what to do next, Meredith described that there was only one option for Tara, the University of Georgia, right here in Athens. I I remember when she was getting ready to apply to law school and my dad was like, you know, there are other law schools. You could go to state, you could go to Emory. She was like, oh no, it's UGA. I'm going to UGA. Like, there were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so, that's what she did. But first, before taking on the rigor of law school, Tara decided to get even more experience. And so, she found work as a paralegal at the downtown law firm Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin. Now, not a bad place to find employment in the classic city for a girl who came from the small town of Lovejoy preparing for law school. It was there Tara befriended many co-workers who all spoke out to testify to her work ethic, some on and off the record. They spoke to her ability to work with clients and to what was no doubt going to be a bright future full of promise in the legal field. The most notable person who we spoke to was Tara's friend and co-worker Lauren, who really does speak to what I've heard from everyone else. Tara was a star in the office. She was very conscientious. She was a bit of a perfectionist. You know, she graduated from Georgia College in three years with two degrees. And uh, so you can, she applied this, the same studious nature that it takes to get to law school, that it takes to get two degrees in that amount of time. She applied that at work. And especially in a real estate department, you know, she was very precise about it, very diligent about it, and took a lot of pride in her work. Everybody loved her. She was just so bubbly. You, you could not like her. She was one of those people that you just, you just loved. She was just so sweet and kind and just a joy to be around. She truly was a joy to be around. For all the success Tara was having at Fortson, Bentley, and Griffin, and for the relationships she was building there, fall 2000 was approaching, which meant Tara Louise Baker would be in her first year of law school, full of rigorous courses with little time for extracurriculars or a heavy work schedule. So Tara, her friend Ashley from Georgia College, and Ashley's friend Valerie moved to a new neighborhood full of standalone homes, duplexes, and townhomes on the east side of Athens in a community called Deer Park on a street called Fawn Drive, 160 Fawn Drive to be exact. 
Valerie remembers the three being excited about their new place in what was a fairly new complex in town at the time, built only a couple of years before they moved in. We decided we were, wanted to get a house, and we found the houses there that Hancock's had built, and it just um, was a really good opportunity for us um, as three friends to move in together. So we were just tickled to death to find something that nice and that new, and but, it, you know, it was a little on the outskirts. Ashley and I, like I said, had already lived together, and Tara and Ashley, I know, had lived together with their time at Georgia College, and so, um, you know, I, I guess... I assumed Ashley would know, you know, that we would all be a good fit, and, and we were. We um, we just balanced each other really well and kind of took care of each other. And But nobody, not Valerie, nor Ashley, not the Bakers, no one was prepared for what was coming on January 19th, 2001, nor the two decades that have followed. Not even Eugenia and Katie, Tara's classmates who were the last to see her at the UGA Law Library on Thursday, January 18th, where the three were studying. No one, neither of them, sensed that something was wrong. Now, we were all there that night studying, and I think she had said something that she was going home and one of the roommates wasn't there or wasn't going to be there and she made a comment about staying safe and being careful walking to her car and mm -hmm. keeping the door locked the doors locked because she was really she was really cautious about having the doors locked did you like when you were studying with her that night or like there was nothing that would ever lead you to believe what was coming the next day no, she was really excited. You know, we had all these plans. It was her birthday, and we had made, well, probably not reservations, but we had made specific plans about where to meet. So, no, I mean, she was fine. She was fine. But something would be wrong the following day, and you know the details, the heartbreaking details. Tara misses class. A 911 call is made at 1125 January 19th, Regarding a fire at 160 Fawn Drive, Tara's body was found inside by firefighters. Who killed Tara then became the question. And that question is one that was not easy to answer. With a contaminated crime scene, fire, smoke, water, and soot damage, and a police force that quickly began zeroing in on certain people, offering the family little answers. Miss Baker, you'll recall, received a call that no one, no parent, ever wants to hear. Miss Baker, you need to come to Athens. And I said, I'm planning on coming. And she said, we have a body. Mm. And I thought I was going to die right then. And to Athens, she and the family went, where their immediate interaction with police, I believe, set the tone for the 20-year investigation that many people in and outside of local law enforcement often say the ACCPD got wrong from the start. And he came in the room, and he said things, and then later, when we questioned, he denied it. Mm. But all of my family was sitting there, and we all heard him say, well, she put up one hell of a fight, I'll say that. And he said, well, you're going to have to excuse me. I've been out in the rain all day. I'm going to have to get some coffee. Mm. I was like, yeah, okay. And during that time, the same girl, while he was out of the room, that called me said, we have multiple injuries and we're treating this as a homicide. Mm. And I got physically ill. 
But he came back in the room and he said, we got lucky. Tara's left us a present. She has all kinds of stuff under her nails. Mm -hmm. And then he absolutely swore he never said that. We demanded to see a coroner's report so that we would know what happened. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, there are some things mama don't need to know. So mama got in his face too. I think it was, you know, a bunch of good old boys patting each other on the back and, you know, making mistakes. They did finally allow us to do with this first regime an interview where we recorded it. Mm -hmm. And then they sent us transcripts after, but we kept our tape. They do not even vaguely match. So it was just a matter of complete contradiction over and over and over. I really don't know who's right about a lot after all these years. I really don't know anymore. Like I told this police chief that was in charge at first, I said, you tell me one thing and I deal with it. I process it. I grieve over it. And then you come back about a month later and say, oh, no, that wasn't the way it was at all. And I start all over again. Nobody from that police department ever called me after that first day on their own. It was us who initiated every contact. And they were, you know, had bragged to us about the fact that they had gotten this new um, thing where they could, you know, fit, find any blood splatter, any traces of blood, even if it had been cleaned up. And then they told us later in an interview that they forgot to use the luminol. Oh my goodness. And I believe that that is in writing somewhere. And in her wallet was receipts from the things she did the day before, you know, two days before, different places she had gone. And I said to them when I went back up there for a meeting one time, I said, give me a timeline of Tara's last day or the last week of her life. And they were like, well, we know where she was. And I said, yeah, I do too. Tell me. They couldn't tell me. Wow. So I just threw all that. I know I shouldn't have reacted that way. Tara would have been upset with me because I did not keep my poise. <laughs> but I threw it all on the table and I said, here it is. Take these receipts and go interview people where she was. And I, then I went and met with the new regime and then the next new regime and the next new regime until I I just I, I don't think there's anything left to do but they were very very frustrated they felt like nothing was happening they asked them you know for years you know please talk to this person please talk to this person you know they lived with Tara they knew what her her routine was maybe you can get a definitive timeline you know talk to somebody and they would go and ask them questions I mean it was Every weekend, they were driving up to Athens, and they would take, you know, banker boxes worth of notes that they had taken, and they would come back with new notes, and they would go over those, and then they would go up to the police station the next week and go over those things, and they felt like they were being told completely different things. I wish that they had disclosed the fact that the laptop had been stolen. Um, like I said, my sister was meticulous. She kept a record of everything. She had a backup of everything. There was a backup to the backup. Well, what had happened first was that it leaked out that it was a laptop, and then they came forward and said, yes, a laptop was taken. So it was leaked first. Yeah, as, as an adult, 
Um, you're like, really? And this is your job? Is to handle this stuff? Um, and, you know, we've had some really great investigators try to crack the case. And I, I don't want to say that they're encouraged to stop. Um, I don't really know. But I know that there is a lot more that could have been done. And I don't feel like they thought it was worth it to even worry about it. Uh, my initial thoughts, uh, probably understandably so, uh, I was frustrated with mm. the fact that uh, we weren't coming to a conclusion on anything. I was frustrated with the fact that we couldn't seem to get many answers. Uh, I still don't feel like I have a good, solid understanding of what happened because it seems that every time we talk to the police, the story changed a little bit. Now, I want to break in here and just say that you know this is the tip of the iceberg regarding the Baker family's relationship and interaction with the police. With that, I want to say this as well. The Baker family and I both know that criticizing the police of 2001 will not change the fact that errors were made and words were spoken that were in no way empathetic or kind to a grieving mother. But... By allowing this family the space to talk about their experiences, to share what they had to endure, and to speak about how they were affected, this investigation allows simply for our police departments to do better, to make sure it doesn't happen to other families again, and that if it does happen to another family, it can be recognized and addressed immediately, not 20 years later. I think that's something we all should want for every case of unsolved homicide. I've always given, though, the police one thing. This case was not open and shut. It isn't cut and dry, and when you spend as much time as I have with it, and when you spend the last 20 years with it as the Baker family has, you realize that there really were a lot of people who had a lot of odd things happening in their life that brought them into the sights of the police, so much so that they might have missed others. This really is a case of who done it, and you know exactly why. There was that classmate that everyone said was just odd. There was a guy that liked her a little too much, and he would put on his suit on Fridays and ask her out, and she never went out with him because she had a boyfriend. Mm. Or maybe he didn't ask her out, but he, I don't know. It's hard to know. Mm. Um, but, you know, everybody knew that he liked her. There was something about him that just made you want to pause. I, like, stayed clear of him. Like, I just, there was something that just made me not. But Tara was always nice and um, felt bad for him and um, felt sorry for him. And he didn't come to graduation. He didn't do, he never took part in any of the commemorative events that we had in her honor um and he he kind of like tried to blend in and leave and the boyfriend the number one place that every police department will look in a crime that seems to be one of passion two of them they pull right up out in front of our houses in the project get out wearing suits dark glasses and they walk straight into that building and they would start asking for me Mm. And then they would pull me, and then they would pull me off that. So they knew where I was at, and they pulled me out of the job site, and they would put me in the car, and they would interrogate me on job site with everybody. 
And you're telling me, Chris, that anything the police department asked of you, from polygraph to DNA to hair samples to meetings, there was not once that you said no. Never. Never. And you have a you've had a verified alibi for the night of Kara's murder and the morning of, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. And you, um, is it fair to say unequivocally, um, Chris, that you did not kill Tara Baker? Absolutely not. I lost Tara. You know, I lost not just her. I love my girlfriend. I, I lost my best friend. She was absolutely my best friend. And to have to walk, step in front of the other every day and go back to work or try to work or then you hear stories and people come in and tell me that where I, even a, a place I had been doing work as a contractor, there's a hundred you know, 75 employees and the word gets back to me. They're having like a conference got conversation or debate. If I had murdered her, oh my gosh, the whole company. So, hmm. and this is getting back to me at places I had worked or were working. I couldn't get the jobs anymore. Hmm. So this it, the word had gotten out. Small town, we're local, you know, close really. But it's uh. So yeah, that was, that was something to carry on. Mm-hmm. And you're always, you know, in, until this moment, Cameron. I mean, really, I mean, I haven't had a chance to voice anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's been 20 years, and then if you tell about the case. To this day, and if somebody would talk about myself, there would be the question. Still, I mean, I could be standing there, and you could see it in people's eyes or how they treated you. And then there was that possibility number three, the attorney. Someone you know much of the early information and witness statements centered around. Stories that eventually told us of a special friendship shared between he and Tara. The charismatic, intelligent, slightly disheveled young man seemed, however, to be leading two different lives. He was kind of in this age group between the clerks and between the older lawyers. So he would talk to us. He took an interest. Since he wasn't that long out of law school, he took an interest in us wanting to go to law school and her actually going. I, I didn't start till the next year, but... um. You know, yeah, we'd talk, hang out. Um, he would, he was in the group that would go with us after work sometimes, and um, we'd go to lunch. And he was very interesting, very intelligent. He had gone to a very top tier, top five law school, um, and was just very, very engaging, uh, big personality. They they did have a, a special friendship. Uh, he did her name change. Uh, I have the thought that it's possible that they met up um, since he could not go with us that Friday night. I wonder if they did not meet up when she got done at the library. We know that she was at the library by herself because Katie and Junia had left. Uh, the law school is a stone's throw from downtown. Um, I wonder if they did not meet up. And things got out of hand. Um, and I wonder if that's why she would have called me 
because I knew him. I had seen him acting crazy and I've often wondered if she was calling me to help her deal with him. But it wasn't until a couple of years later that these pieces started coming together for me. You, you don't want to think that somebody you know could do this to somebody else you know. And I think it took me a long time to be able to to think about it that way. Was it hard for you because you were so, you know, it was you three were friends. Mm -hmm. Was that difficult to process through that, you know, it could have happened right under your nose and you could do that? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And again, it's, it's, you know, we still don't know. And until some more action is taken by some investigators or somebody comes forward with more information we're not going to know but that to me is at this point what makes the most sense do I want to believe that? No, I don't and at some point the attorney the lawyer in question does show up to your house is that right? that's right and how did he appear um, or seen that day? Um, it odd. Um, everything about him was odd. He was, um, I didn't know what it, how to really describe it at the time, but just disheveled and um, his eyes were kind of frantic looking and um almost like he'd had too much caffeine just very really hyper and um kind of spastic um just odd act you know not not his calm normal demeanor not that anything was normal about the situation but um it, it just you know we were all so distraught and devastated that we were the tone for us was was quiet and um, just unsettled, and his was more of um, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It wasn't like he was thrashing about, but it just was more frantic, just um, pacing and um, but more about it was really more about his demeanor, just and his his dress and his facial expressions and. Um, and really him trying to convince us of um, one particular person that he thought it could be, which would have, was um, Tara's biological father. And um, I noticed the scratches. My husband noticed the scratches. Um, and we asked him about the scratches because they were, um, they were noticeable. They were prominent. And um, he wasn't trying to do anything to cover them up, but it was because it was, winter time and I think it would have been easy to do that um, but he explained them away as having um, had recently re- um, gotten a, a cat or a kitten and um, that the cat had scratched him you know he I, I feel like he kind of lived two lives I think he you know to the lawyers in the firm he was this young up and coming attorney um, 
but he had another side to him that was he was wanted to be a kid and party and you know hang out at the bars um you know he, he was married at the time now we know that many others spoke out about the young married attorney noting other things regarding reported wild sexual behavior drug usage multiple affairs but then we had to move on we had to ask ourselves about that community Valerie, Ashley, and Tara thought would be their new perfect home, Deer Park. Could something have been awry there, particularly with the other similar crimes in the area? Could it have been someone on staff there, particularly since no forced entry was seemingly noted, although that is a source of debate? Someone like a maintenance man, perhaps? Well, we found out we weren't far off in that assumption that he might be on the list when we talked to Lisa, a former crime analyst from the Athens-Clark County Police Department, that this really is the man who latter investigators believe had the highest likelihood of being involved in the murder of Tara Louise Baker. While I won't say that is not the case, I will say that as of now, January 2021, I'm not convinced. It did lead to us looking at who had keys, and then that led to... Um, I mean, obviously, the maintenance man had keys. He always had keys. Mm -hmm. He had a master key to every unit. Um, th the big thing is, so we start talking to him, and he's been interviewed several times, and he has failed a polygraph. Mm -hmm. And he knew holdback information. Mm -hmm. And he um, gave us an alibi that was refuted. Um, so... It just, um, everything kind of points in that direction. He, he also had relationship issues. He had a girlfriend. He had relationship issues, and it was reported to us that in the week following her murder that his behavior became so strange and erratic that she kicked him out of her house, and he committed suicide, or he attempted, sorry, he attempted suicide. He did not complete it. Um, and then he wound up in rehab for several years after that. So, I mean... It could just be a crime of opportunity. Now here is the new bombshell story to go along with this theory. A woman that lived on Deer Parkway has reached out this week to tell her story after the time of which Tara and her roommates occupied 160 Fawn Drive, where she was laying on the couch and the maintenance man entered in with no knock and no work order. But she told him there wasn't a work order, so he left. There was another time that a roommate was home and found on two separate occasions fires burning on the stove, again after the year 2001. It begs the question, does this give Lisa's theory even more credibility? I'll let you decide. There was also that odd character, D. And while we haven't heard much more on this, I will tell you I did hear word from a source within the department that they had taken a second look into this. That's always good to know. Finally, we spoke of the ant and the spider, a guy whose name came up very early on in this search and that came up years ago to Miss Virginia in passing, and a woman connected to this man who set a similar fire a couple of months later. Which might be a coincidence, I'll admit, but it could it point also to knowledge of what happened at Fawn Drive? Or might it lead some to believe she was there? Of the two, you've heard numerous people come forward about Ant the most, claiming he had Tara's laptop in the days after her death. Ant came to my house and 
came over and tried to sell me the laptop and basically pawned the drugs to me and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do it because he could not block it. That he cried about killing Tara. And that he bragged about having shaking the police off of his trail. Like, yeah, man, they had me. They had me. They had me. And he laughed about it. So we've learned quite a lot, right? We've covered a lot. We've listened and we've told stories from all of you. We've given people a space to be heard, to speak their truths. But I know you're all wondering, what does the Baker family feel about all we've just listened to again? Have their opinions changed over the last nine months? Do they have any regrets, honestly? And where do we go from here as we prepare to honor and remember Tara on January 20th? Don't go anywhere. The entire Baker family is here with their thoughts on everything we've just reviewed. We'll be right back. Conveniently located at 185 South Millage Drive here in Athens, Georgia, Five Point Storage offers self-storage units in a variety of sizes to meet all of your needs. So here's the thing, renting a storage unit should not be complicated, and I know this personally from my time as a student and from moving from one house to the other over the last seven years. When you choose Five Point Storage, you can secure your unit with no deposit necessary and on a month-to-month basis, no long-term lease required. But it doesn't stop there, get this. They're offering their first month rent-free to our listeners, and you can rent online or there's contactless rental options directly from your phone. If you have questions or to get your storage rental, be sure to give Five Point Storage a call today at 706-850-7712 or visit them online at fivepointstorageathens.com. Well, I have with me all of the Baker family, um, minus Adam, who wasn't able to join us. I have Miss Virginia, Meredith, and Kevin on the phone. Hello, everybody. Hi. So so glad to have each of you joining me for this special episode. Um, First out to Meredith. We've come a long way since that first phone call, don't you think? Oh, yes, we have. (laughs) One thing I wanted to start out asking you was, how do you feel since that first phone call with everything that's come out, everything that we've learned? Um, What's your overall take? That I should have responded to your first email. (laughs) We should have had you on here years ago because we have just, we have learned so much. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And out to Kevin, what do you think about all the things we've learned? I know there's been a lot of information to digest. We just heard a lot of it in a review and a recap. What's your overall opinion of what, what we've learned over the last nine months? I would say that, you know, it's it shed light on people who needed to clear the air and justify their reasons behind what they did post-incident. It's definitely given some clarification on, you know, who was involved, who wasn't involved. And it is very humbling to you to see how many people in different avenues of Tara's life all talk about her very similar to the way her family does. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's very humbling and it's very important to understand that she was the same all the way across the board. She didn't have a separate life. She didn't live, you know, uh, two different ways. You know, she was the same person with her family as she was with her friends. Mm-hmm. 
And Miss Virginia, one of the things that we had talked about in the beginning that was important for you is that, you know, you didn't want people to forget Tara. How has it been for you to see thousands of people who have not only listened and tuned in, but have reached out and left memories in, uh, of Tara and their time with her? How has that been for you? It has been extremely healing. Mm-hmm. I'm very touched by all the reaction from so many people. It's a little bit soothing. It's like a salve for my heart. Mm-hmm. I have learned not to cry so much with my eyes, but my heart still weeps mm-hmm. every day. But seeing the love and the outpouring of care for her has been like medicine to my heart. And how are you feeling? I know that you have had to hear quite a lot of things, and we've talked about, you know, before together how this has been painful to open up, but um, do you have any regrets about opening up? What what do you feel you've gained from, from all of this over the last nine months? I do not have regret. I, in the beginning, when this happened 20 years ago, I spent so much time in prayer asking the Lord to give me strength to be here for my other children because I just thought I would lay down and die. And then I finally got to where I could survive, not really live a whole lot for a while, but I never really had any answers. And that was always a pain in the back of my heart. Why? We still don't have really the why but we have a whole lot more answers after walking down this long road, and I trust that the Lord will give me peace again. Yes, absolutely. And and I appreciate your efforts so much because you have done so much more to shed light on the truth than anyone has in all of these 20 years. Well, I must say it's been an honor, honor to do that um, over the last nine months. And, you know, one thing I've told Meredith is this is not the end of Tara's case with me or with this podcast. You know, we are still actively asking people to speak out. Meredith, one thing I wanted to talk to you about that was really something that was a big moment for the podcast was, and for your family, more importantly, was, you know, that release of the autopsy to you. After 20 years, I know that you took on that burden for the family, went to the police department. Did you think that was something monumental that we've accomplished together? Oh, absolutely. Like Mama was just saying, for she still doesn't have the why, but if anything, in this last nine months, you've given us the what. Mm. And I think that that's something that a lot of people don't understand. For 20 years, we did not know what happened. Every time Mama would go, Mama and Daddy both would go to the police station in the earlier days of the investigation would ask what happened. And they would be told one story only for it to later be contradicted. So finally, because of the push from the community and this podcast, my husband and I went down there for better or for worse, you know, and sat there for five hours and grilled this guy and we're finally able to look at at the autopsy report, read the autopsy report, and I was allowed to view photos from the scene. Mm-hmm. Something and you that didn't had been even think, did you? I, that, I couldn't, Mama. I like know, I said, that's a bit of, I've an, of an inside joke and that when Tara first started studying about law, she was shown crime scene photos and went out in the hall and fainted. So... 
I would just but you know, if it were the other way around, Tara wouldn't have hesitated. <laughs> she deserves no less from me. My children are incredibly strong individuals, and I am so proud of all of them. You know, when we started this, there was still a lot of people that the police had not necessarily cleared and that had not spoken out over the last 20 years. Kevin, what was it like for you to hear from Chris after 20 years, Tara's boyfriend? You know, like I said before, out of everybody in my family, I think I probably had the most interaction with him. And, you know, for the longest time, I, I thought he did it. You know, for the longest time, there was... Know, people trying to persuade us to think that that's you know that who he was involved and all these things going on and now you know I've had to let go of a little bit of regret of thinking that he was involved in it because when you talk to him you can hear the pain in his voice you can hear that he was 100% compliant with everything that they wanted him to do at this point it's kind of defacing on the police to allow that to happen to him downright criminal for someone to pretty much be blacklisted by uh the community and his friends and his workplace uh, so I've, I've got you know the utmost respect for the fact that he has gone through all these stages and feels the same way we do that seek outside help mm-hmm. get involved with as many people as you can but just get the answers that we need to get and let's be done with it is it safe to say kevin that from when we started this to now that you're not leaning the same way you were leaning the first time we talked. Oh, no. Not at all. Right. Meredith, we also, in our first conversation, you had mentioned that you knew where someone lived, you knew what life they led that could possibly be involved, um, that the police had looked at. Do you still feel that way or lean that way? No, I do not. Okay. And Miss Virginia, just asking you the same question. When we started this, I know that you had your own opinions about what could have happened. Has has your mind changed over the last nine months? Absolutely. Miss Virginia, I know that this petition is something that's really important to you. We, we heard just now, again, some of the heart-wrenching and heartbreaking things that went on with the athens Clark County Police Department over the last 20 years. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to people about that or about the petition and signing it specifically? I'm just so appreciative to everyone who has signed it, and I hope that something good will come of it. And I hope that there will be some way that we can come up with a way to take these type of cases away from the original jurisdiction after a certain time period if they still refuse to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I think that there's never too much help when a case has gone on this long. And the, the viewers have just, I mean, your listeners have been amazing and coming on and signing this petition. And I think that Meredith did a fantastic job in drafting it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so appreciative to everyone. One final thing I wanted to ask everybody. Meredith, I'll start with you. You're at the top of my list on my phone. You know, we're heading into next week will be the 20th anniversary um, of Tara's death and another birthday that's passed. What is your message today about who Tara was, number one, And then what is your message to people who might still know things or the person who might be responsible? What I want people to take away from this or to remember is 
don't forget the kind heart that she had. Um, I think one of the listeners said it said it best when they were listening to last week's episode, which I think we can all agree was was difficult. Mm-hmm. Was while no one deserves to die, Tara did not deserve to die like this. But I want people to remember how she lived, mm-hmm. what kind of person she was, and most of all to remember that she died fighting Mm. and to the person who's still out there who hasn't responded to your request and who I do truly believe was involved one way or another they need to know that Tara died fighting and I will too I'm going to guess that that's directed at someone who is still living yes okay Kevin to you your message about Tara moving into next week and your message to the people out there who might know something or who might be responsible. You know, reiterate the sentiments that Mary said. Don't forget who she was um, for the people that did encounter her before her untimely demise. Don't forget how she treated you and how important you were to her. You weren't just a classmate. You weren't just someone that she could talk to when she was born, but she generally enjoyed the interactions that she had with people and for those who i know we have listeners that that are you know listening that were not even alive before she passed away there may not be another one like her so let's all try to be the best that we can to be similar to her Mm. let's always try to be the best person that we can be for each other and for our friends and for our family and value the time that we have with one another as of the person who i think may be involved you know, I told you this on the first episode, and I'm a firm believer in this. Yes, do I want absolute justice? Do I want to see that person get what they deserve? Absolutely. But I may not see that in my lifetime, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I may not be the one that's supposed to find out about it. But I will tell you this, that if we don't come to justice with this here, God knows who, who he or she is. Mm-hmm. God is, you know going to come to justice with this person and that's a better justice that i could ever offer or a police department could ever offer and if that person is any sort of human being their soul should be weeping for themselves Mm -hmm. because there's there's something that you can't come back from taking an angel off this earth for sure and that's exactly what's happened and you know she was she was a true angel that we had in the flesh and if you weren't lucky enough to meet her in person, you know, take a look at, you know, her siblings. Not not necessarily me, but you know, my <laughs> sister, my brother, and my mom. Definitely sure. not you. <laughs> um, but she was the best of us all, for sure. And I hope people remember that. Miss Virginia, tell us about your daughter. What do you want people as we round this out and as we approach this 20-year anniversary next week i know this is a hard time for you but what is on your heart and what do you want people to know a lot of tears (laughs) i want people to remember that in january either that evening of the 18th or the morning of the 19th there was a collision of pure good and pure evil tara was so kind so beautiful and it had to be absolute evil incarnate that did this and she 
was a person of courage all her life. She stood up for what was right all her life from the time she was a young child. And she fought very, very hard to save her life. And I know that it wasn't just for her. I know that she was fighting for her family because Tara knew very well what she meant to her family, to her extended family, her grandmother that she was named for, her aunts, her uncles, her cousins, her siblings who adored and looked up to her, her parents who just treasured her. So she would not have left this world quietly. She would have fought with her last breath. And I wish with all my heart and soul that someone who knows something would have just a drop of the courage that Tara had and come forward and give us the answers to put the people who did this together with her. Because all the people that I suspect, I cannot find a way to put them together with her. There's got to be a common denominator somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm praying that someone will have just a little bit of the courage that she lived with and speak out. Yes. And the one thing that we've said is, you know, there have been so many people that have come forward to give us so many puzzle pieces, and we're just waiting on a few more for that for that final air of justice. Um, is there anything that any of you want to add that I didn't ask about or didn't touch on or that you want to say before we round this out here? I just want to thank you for all of your hard work. And you have been a real bulldog. <laughs> the little bulldog of Athens, I believe, with all my heart. You, you are tenacious and you just don't give up. And... I want to thank our extended family of listeners that I have come to love so dearly. And I want you to know that I feel your love and I feel your prayers. And I know that it will help us through this. Meredith, Kevin? I I definitely want to thank you for all the sleepless nights and FOIA request after FOIA request and... I, I always want to let you know that it's not necessary, but I appreciate every time we talk, you tell me this is not done. We're not done. Mm-hmm. There's still so much to do. And like Mama said, there is somebody out there who has the key, whether it's they actually have the laptop or maybe somebody's ex-wife is finally going to come forward and, and give us that last piece of information that we need. Because like Mama said, there's a reason why all these people were together mm-hmm. and we just need to know if our hunch is right because mm-hmm. i think we have a pretty good idea of what went down mm-hmm. but we just need that last person to come forward and just give us the answer you know meredith it's kind of like i was explaining to someone the yes. other day when we started this out we just had this pool of people and now we've kind of broken it down into tears as you know most likely happened could have happened, didn't happen at all. Um, And I think that top layer of could have been involved or is likely involved has gotten smaller over the last nine months. Right, because if anything, I think what this podcast has done is is whittled away at the the witness list and like the 
the individual that the police were hung up on for so long that I told you about in the beginning that, you know, they had me convinced had done it. I, I think it, it's very easy now to look at it and say, no, it doesn't make sense. And, and, and if it does, we need a lot more than what we have. And, and so, right. so, There's so just, it, mm-hmm. it's all circumstantial and, and it, there, you're not going to get anywhere with that. Kevin, final word to you. You know, it's very similar what my, you know, mom and my sister have already talked about that. First and foremost, I want the listeners to know that Cameron was not asked to do this. He was not approached by anybody from the family or approached by anybody that represented the police department. He came across this and generally has been dedicating his time for the last nine months, completely voluntary and has cracked the, the case wide open to the point to where, like we've already said, we know who was involved, we know who wasn't. And, you know, there may be a few missing pieces here and there, but at least we have a decent picture versus just scrambled pieces of information all over the place. So, Cameron, absolutely hats off to you. Thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for, you know, the the uh, tireless hours that you put into it and giving my mom the ability to express her feelings to someone that will listen to her. Mm. Um, cause it, it never gets any easier for any family member, but definitely for my mom, she needed that outlet, whether she wanted to admit it or not. Well, I think you've given and, all of us a platform for grief. Mm. Yes. And the fact that we have people not just in the state of Georgia, not just in the Southeast, but the country. And I know we've got listeners across the globe. I know this is a worldwide podcast now. Um, but the followers that are following this story, think about how many people that we have touched. Think about everybody who may have a younger daughter who they're putting a little bit of more emphasis on, let me know when you get home or make sure that you lock yourself up or always keep yourself uh, out of bad situations or away from bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, if even if that's what comes from this, we're, we're touching people uh, to the point to where we're, we're changing behaviors of people that may have never even thought about it until now. Um, and I encourage everybody who's able to, please come and join us uh, on Wednesday when we do the uh, flowers at the Law Library. I absolutely encourage everybody come out show your support um you know i'd love to meet you i'm sure my mom and my sister would love to meet you uh and wear your lavender and your purple because you know it's you know we're doing it on tara's birthday even though you know the death day is still something to focus on but you know we want to celebrate the life of tara not just the horrible act that's happened absolutely absolutely and one thing that i just want to say to all of you and I'm going to try not to get emotional here, is that um, it's been the honor of my adult life and my entire life to have you open up your hearts, um, your your homes, your phones in the middle of the night when I had a random thing come in that I couldn't wait to tell you about. Um, I'm thankful for all the tear-filled conversations and the hard conversations. One thing that I said earlier is I promise to never keep anything that I felt nor found from any of you um, and it, like I said, getting to know Tara specifically has just uh, made me a better person. Um, and I think it's made every single person who's listened a better person. And I pray 
that what we've uncovered in this case um, and what we've heard from the tens on tens of people that have spoken out will make the athens clark county police department a better organization because um, i think there's always room for improvement and i think we've been able to show that quite well so family i i want you to know that i love you and you're never getting rid of me and i'm not going anywhere anytime <laughs> soon <laughs> and to everybody listening, the email, the phone lines are still open. Um, so, family, thank you. Thank you, So, I want to end this episode by saying several things, and please, if you can, stick this out with me. It truly isn't over, and I'm being honest when I say that. While we are going to cover some other stories of historic crime in Athens, Tara and her story continues. Our hearts, our podcast, our email, our phone lines, they all continue to be dedicated to finding the truth, whatever it may be, and the person or persons responsible, whomever they may be. We've done a lot together, as you can hear, and I believe none of it was in vain. I would change nothing other than that time that I scared all of you with the loud beep. But on a serious note, thank you again to the Baker family. Thank you to each and every donor and sponsor and listener who made this journey possible. Thank you again to Kyle for always being there to get me through this. You know, the friendship and bond that I share with Miss Virginia will be one that I share forever. And I want to end by saying just how much she renewed my faith in not only people through her undeniable strength, but renewed my faith in God somewhere along the way too, with her ability to continue to look upward no matter what came her way through the last 20 years. So if you'll indulge me with this, the Bible does say in Romans, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And now the last verse of this scripture reminds us all, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And as I always like to say, my friends, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we shall reap, if we do not lose heart, if we do not give up. I know that I'm not giving up, and I trust that you won't either. Thank you again for being a part of something greater than me.
greater than ourselves. Thank you for helping me seek justice for Tara. I'm Cameron J. Season 1 of Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron J., co-produced and designed by Kyle Kazaya. Be sure to visit us online at ClassicCityCrime.com, email us at ClassicCityCrime at gmail.com, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for the latest on Tara's story and any updates that might come our way.